You know, it is good to gather and worship. There's a part of me that needs to figure out if we should just have a Sunday where we rent this place for another two hours so we can just sit and just sing all day long. Because it is good to worship together, right? Correct? Yes, it is. I mean, that's part of the, the beauty of heaven. An eternity of just pure, unadulterated worship before the Lord of all who saves. That will be so good. So good. We are going through what I've titled The Gospel According to Isaiah. And you can see on the slide here, it's called The Gospel According to Isaiah, but I've kind of titled it The Drama of Redemption, in which we have the story of God's saving work. And that's what this is about. This Bible here is not just a collection of different books, different letters. There's the old, there's the new. This is God's saving, beautiful work. It's the drama of redemption, the story of God's saving work. And many would say that there's four Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then some would say the fifth gospel is Isaiah. It's that pure, that focused, that challenging for us to look at God, to look at sin, and look at his means of salvation. And if you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah. Today I'm just going to preach one word. So that means we're going to be here for 600 years going through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up. We've got a bunch in the back. Pastor John likes handing out Bibles. Isaiah is, in many ways, a tough book to read, again, because sometimes we get lost in the Old Testament because some people aren't familiar with just the basic storyline. There are 11 books that cover the chronology, the story of the Old Testament, and other books kind of surround it. And when you get to the prophets, sometimes it's kind of confusing, and you just think, well, why is there major prophets or minor prophets? Are the minor prophets less influential? Do they not speak the Word of God? And, and then it's confusing, and sometimes people get lost. And hopefully the last couple Sundays, we've kind of given you a big picture, an overview of, of what the book of Isaiah is and where it lands and kind of how we're going to work through this. And we are going to just take a couple weeks here to look at the first part of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39. And I'm not going to work through it chapter by chapter. We're just going to look at a couple aspects of the portrait of God, where God shows himself in a mighty way and displays his character. And there's important things to know. We looked at how God is in control over nations. He is the Lord of history. Chapters 5 through 15, chapter 10 we looked at last week, he is sovereign in his strategy. Even for the children of Israel who had this time where they were together, then they had some kings, and then, okay, let's divide the kingdom. There's the northern, southern, and all these issues come. And then they're surrounded by these empires. The Assyrians come, take over the northern. The southern kingdom's a little bit worried. What do we do? Know this, God is in control. He is the Lord of history. And today we need to know that. 
It's, it's interesting. I didn't show this map last week because we just I have so much information. I mapped out where the Assyrian and Babylonian Empire covered that time. Mapped it out. And I thought, well, let me show where that is today, what countries that surrounds. No surprise. Iraq, Iran, all these hot spots. When I play the game of risk, like I showed you last week, almost every time we play, where do the, most of the battles end up? Right in that area. But know this. God is in control. He is the Lord of history. Amen? He's the Lord of history. Chapters 5 through 15, 13 through 24, it kind of goes back and forth at times. We see the Lord brings judgment to many nations. In chapter 10, we looked at who will you trust? Will you trust yourself? Will you trust an alliance with someone else? With Well, they're, they're our cousins, so we're going to trust them. Wait, they just made a deal with the enemy to take care of us and get rid of us, and we're not going to trust them. So in Judah, they're all like, oh, the Israelites. <laughs> they're the wayward ones. We're the holy ones. Will you trust kings, treaties, or will you trust the Lord? God is sovereign. Very important. In fact, one of the reasons I'm taking just a few weeks here to look at the first couple or the first half of Isaiah to just get this grand view of who God is because that's where we lack today. I believe in the church most of all. Our understanding of who God is. But today we're going to look at the question that comes to play when we read the Old Testament. What's the role of the prophets? What was their role? And why did God call them? And what were they to do? Take a look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. We see that this is a vision concerning Judah, the southern kingdom. And it was given by a man named Isaiah. Well, who's Isaiah? Is he a prophet? Next week we'll look at his calling. But what were the prophets? Who were they? First of all, they were chosen by God to speak his word. Remember that as you read through the Old Testament. They were chosen by God to speak His Word. In fact, when I grew up, I read the King James Bible, and it was always, Thus saith the Lord. And, you know, those words kind of echo out in my mind when I read it. In fact, when I read the NIV that I read now, or the ESV or NASB, I always kind of put saith in there, because it just sounds more proper. They have the authority, and just, Thus saith the Lord. No that these are the direct words of God. Let's take just a look at a couple verses that we have here on the slide. They were chosen by God to speak His Word. The next slide shows you Numbers 22-38. Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied. We all know about his donkey and stuff. But listen to this. But I cannot say whatever I please... I must speak only what the Lord puts in my mouth. The prophets spoke his direct word. Or Jeremiah 1.9, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put 
my words in your mouth. Or Ezekiel 2.7. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people. Again, the Old Testament is only part of the story. The Old Testament is incomplete because the Old Testament points to, gets them ready for Christ. We have this word that is true. It is the word of God. But know as you read in the Old Testament, they spoke his word. Take a look at that next slide here. This is Deuteronomy 18. In fact, it's interesting, this first part. Peter, in Acts chapter 3, says this and says, guess what? This spoke of Jesus. As we've been going through the Old Testament, Jesus shows up all over the place. I will raise up from them, for them, a prophet like you among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. The prophet spoke the words of God. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. The prophets spoke his word. And when they did not, time for a funeral. Look out. But what's the role of the prophets? How does this fit in the Old Testament to the children of Israel? They spoke to them. They had certain stories and certain situations. They had certain application that applied to them right there. And the, what was their role? I wrote just a few things down here on the next slide. As we read through the Old Testament, as we think of Isaiah, remember these things. They were spokesmen for God. Who, number one, they were all about revealing who God was. At times, God would say, I'm going to reveal myself to my people through you, either by words, written words, by you marrying someone, and you're going to have some kids, you're going to name them this person and this person, and then out of that, it's going to be hard for you, so they would see how hard it is for me to love such a wayward people. Who is What prophet was that? Hosea. They reveal God. Spokesman who reveals God Number two, they declared God's will and intention for his people. This is what you must do right now. This is God's will. Third, at times they predicted the future to warn and prepare them. Don't do this. Don't follow these idols because if you do, look out. This is what's coming. Isaiah's heavy in that. 1 through 39 he is warning him, saying, don't be like your cousins up north. Don't be like the Israelites. They were foolish. And then don't be arrogant to say, well, we're the righteous ones. If so, look out. They warned and predicted to prepare them for judgment and for the coming one who would ultimately save them. Also, their words are written down as God's words contained in Scripture for all time. 
know this, that when a prophet spoke in the Old Testament, they had the weight and the authority of God. They had the weight and the authority of God. Thus, to obey the words was to obey the Lord. And to disobey was to disobey the Lord. In the New Testament, we have ones also that spoke the very words of God. You see this on the next slide. They weren't called prophets. Instead, their titles are apostles. They are the counterpart, if you could say, to the prophets of the Old Testament. They never call themselves prophets. It's interesting. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. He wasn't called to be a prophet. He's called to be an apostle. Luke 6.12 says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Verse 13. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated as apostles. The next slide says this. In the Gospels, they are usually called disciples, and in the book of Acts, they are called apostles. And the apostles were called to lead and train the early church. Someday we'll look more at this word apostle and the different roles, and do we have apostles today? And a lot of questions may come there, but in the New Testament, we have the Apostles, capital A. Look at Second Peter here. This is a great passage here. A lot of people say, well, we know that the Old Testament's the Word of God. For sure, that's the Word of God. I mean, that's the Bible that Jesus read. The, the, the Old Testament is quoted throughout the New Testament. Well, how do we know that the New Testament books and their writings are also the Word of God? Love this passage here. Second Peter 3, 2. In fact, turn your Bibles, mark this one. It's a great one to have in your resource. If you talk to someone that says, well, how do we know which is true in the Bible? How do we know? Was it just some council that got together and said, oh, you know, sure, the apostles, that it kind of lines up with the Old Testament, so it sounds good, let's make it right. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Here's one verse that helps verify that what the apostles were saying was the word of the Lord. There's multiple verses that talk about this, but here's a great one. This book that we have should be your treasure at home. If my house burned down and I got all my kids out, I don't really have many valuable things. I have a few trinkets and things, knickknacks. I have my dad's military flag. That would be very valuable to me. I'd probably snatch that as quick as I could. That was given to me at his funeral. I have a couple other items that are family heirlooms. I would probably grab, my wife would want me to grab the photo album, of course, but now it's all digital and and they're probably somewhere else. But of all the books I have, all the Bibles I have, 
I have my precious study Bible that I pull off when I don't read from it. It's big and bulky. It's all written up in notes. And I drink of it daily. This is the Word of God. Drink from this daily. We're going to hear from the prophets as they speak, warning the children of Israel. And as they point to this great Messiah coming, drink from that daily. Hold this dear to you. It's the Word of God. Remember a few years ago, a friend of mine said, I'm going to a conference on hearing God's voice. I paused and said, I hope they just read the Bible the whole time. It wasn't that way at the conference. It was something different. This is the Word of God. And we are about to embark on this beautiful walk through Isaiah 40 through 55, the gospel according to Isaiah the drama of sweet redemption. And we will see the voice of God as he preaches himself to us in Isaiah. So what about our study in Isaiah, in Isaiah the prophets? Take a look at the next slide here. Isaiah. As we go through Isaiah, we're going to see three main things show up. Number one, the grand view of God. Again, please remember this. Most of our problems stem from an incorrect view of God. Let me give you an example. If I hang out with a bunch of high school guys, I'm not pointing any high school guys. There are no high school guys here tonight. Good. Off the hook there. Let's say I hang out with a bunch of high school guys, kids, and we're all hanging out, a bunch of boys, and we just go out and wrestle, beat each other up, or whatever boys do, or I try to play video games they're complicated now. They got all these buttons and stuff. I just like that Atari red button. That's how I win. Let's say we hang out and pound on each other and just goof around. We just go shoot guns or whatever. And uh, then we start getting serious. And let's say they say, you know, Pastor Cody, I'm kind of struggling right now. I'm struggling with sin. If it's a bunch of guys, I kind of go, oh, I know where this is going. And let's say the guys are like, yeah, I'm just struggling. I'm starting to think things, see things on the internet. Oh, I just, what do I do? My upbringing is, all right, get a key, lock yourself up, cut it off, whatever it takes. Just, you got the power to do it. You can do it. Ah, they'd probably run away. That's why maybe there's no high school boys in the room right now. I don't know. Just, just kidding. We try so hard when it comes to sin or our troubles, our struggles. What do we do? I'm going to conquer this thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, put to death all this stuff because I'm an American because I can do it. And I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going I'm to read this book, Every Man's Battle, and woo, then I'm free. Listen. I believe if we, with those boys, would sit down and say, okay, here's all these methods and stuff. Let's just put those aside a second. Let's soak in the Word right now. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living, abiding by your Word. So let's sit in the Word. Let's soak in the beauty of who God is and see how holy He is, how grand He is, how worthy He is of praise. 
And if we start taking time and just going, He is holy, He is awesome, He is mighty, why would I follow this idol? Why would I want to fall into this sin? I want to worship Him and His holiness. And if these boys would catch a glimpse of the holiness of God, I believe that struggle with sin would dissipate quicker than any other method we can come up with. Does that make sense? Isaiah is all about expanding the children of Israel, their understanding of who God is. Because they've been trusting, making alliances, thinking they can do it themselves. But Isaiah is not just for them. It's for us today. And I cannot wait to expand my vision of the beauty of who God is in the book of Isaiah. Most of our struggles come from an incorrect view of God. If I understood God in his holiness, some of the aspects of sin would change automatically. If I understood the the concept of God, he is sufficient, my understanding of how I took care of finances, how I took care of my family, my planning, my organ, that would all change because God is sufficient. So the first one is God. The next one is sin. Boy, we are going to dig into this one because it's going to be easy. We're going to be like Judah. Oh, look at our neighbors, the Israelites. Look at the sinners. They're the sinners. We're not. We're not sinners. Look, we even, Pastor Cody even has a tie on today. We're the holy ones, right? We're the righteous ones. What if today, if Jesus took on flesh again, came to your door, knocked on your door and said, you are the Pharisees of today. And right now, if you're in your heart, if you want, no, we wouldn't. Maybe that's the way of saying you are. We're going to look at sin. Just because you say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm covering the blood, sin is a very serious offense and rebellion against God. In fact, the first part of Isaiah here, chapter 1, sin, rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. Chapter 66, the end, sin again. The two bookends are, wake up, people, you're in rebellion. God, sin, and salvation. The gospel message in Isaiah is all about salvation. God is the source of salvation. And it's the story of God's saving work. Let's take a look at the next slide here. When we look at the understanding of God in Isaiah, we need to look at this concept of sin. Christ is and salvation will be reflected in our understanding of God. So we begin with God. How you understand God reflects your understanding of sin, reflects your understanding of how I need to be saved, reflects your understanding of who Christ is. So we must begin with God. That's why I'm taking this time to try to comprehend God in a grander way. If God is very high and pure, then man's condition is very serious. If we minimize here, the effect is everywhere. That's why I believe we need to understand God in a fuller, grander way that he reveals himself in his word. 
We need to look at the, at the understanding of sin in Isaiah. Sin is a fundamental issue to Christian belief system and theology. The more severe the understanding and depth of sin, listen to this, the more radical the cure must be. Because most of us go, oh, sin is sin. I, I've got this struggle. I've got this little habit. I'm working on it. It's my vice. If you treat sin in a small way, Christ is belittled, and so is the cross. This is closely bound to the redemption needed and comes through in Christ. God's sin and then salvation. The next slide. When we look and understand salvation in Isaiah, we have the vast subject of God's plan for redeeming mankind. Not just the children stuck in Judah, not just the Israelites, but Isaiah gives this grand picture for mankind. We see the great picture of salvation in the servant, in the person, and in the work of Christ. That's what Isaiah is about. But let's go back to Isaiah 1. What about Isaiah himself? Isaiah. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah. So we're just going to look at one word today. Isaiah. What's in a name? Take a look at this slide here. This is very important. Isaiah means the Lord saves. Even in his name, he's going to be given this name, and in his name means the Lord saves. From this word, Yatzah, comes, the Hebrew word, comes this salvation. Comes the word Isaiah. Comes the word Joseph. Comes the word Yeshua. Comes the word Jesus. Comes that song that we sing, Hosanna. Isaiah means the Lord is the one who saves. The Lord, here's another way you could say it, the Lord is the source of salvation. And we're going to come back to this almost every sermon. He's the one that saves. No matter what predicament you're in, the Lord is the one who saves. No matter what mountaintop and how much money you have and how many blessings are just flowing in, the Lord is the one who saves. Don't rely on things or kings, or treaties. The Lord is the one who saves. If I could boil it down, normally you've heard me say this, this comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. I give to you what is of first importance, the gospel message. What is it? Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Five words there. But if, even, if I had to boil it down even smaller... Still three words up on the screen. What is the gospel message in Isaiah? What is the gospel message here? What is the gospel message we should awake every day and think of? God saves sinners. Remember that. Because some days you might go, I'm a pretty righteous guy. I'm doing pretty fine right now. I read the Bible. Tucking my little kitty poos when it's nighttime, and oh, yeah, well, that's great. I don't sin, I don't smoke, chew, and eat with the ones that do, and however that song goes. God saves sinners. Quickly go to 
1 Timothy chapter 1. Quickly go there, find this. Again, I'm not a tattoo guy. Haven't been, maybe because I wasn't a Navy guy. I guess we have a couple of Navy guys here and they got their tattoos. But If I would do a tattoo, it would be this on my abdominal area upside down so I could read it because if it was the other way, I couldn't read it. But here it is. 1 Timothy 1.15 Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Here it is. Sit down and put your seatbelt on. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Because I tell you what, Pastor Cody can some days put his chest and go, I'm doing pretty good today. I haven't done that sin and that sin. Oh, remember, this is a trustworthy thing. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown patience so that in me, the chief of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience on those who would turn and believe in him. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, be all praise and glory. Another great verse that boils this down. God saves sinners of whom I am the worst. What does this look like in the book of Isaiah? Again, this is just going to be an overview, and the next week we're going to start digging into some major passages. Isaiah means the Lord is the source of salvation. God saves. The Lord is salvation. What does this look like? Take a look at this slide. We're going to look at God saves sinners, those three words. Number one, God is the one who saves. Know this. And we'll see this in Isaiah. The divine trinity is at work together in perfect wisdom and sovereign love to achieve salvation for his chosen people in the book of Isaiah. Some people just go, well, the trinity's not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's, the word trinity doesn't even show up in the Bible. How, what, how, how do we help this? What? Even we see that the Trinity is involved in saving and achieving the purpose of salvation in his plan. How? The Father in the book of Isaiah decides in advance the sovereign plans for salvation. And we'll see this show up. God the Father is all about, I have decreed, I have mapped this out, I have planned even before you were born. This is how it's all going to lay out. That enemy that's above you that's going to capture you? Oh, you think that I'm not in control of that? They're just a tool. This is part of my plan. To save you. The Father in the book of Isaiah decides in advance and sovereignly plans salvation. The Son in the book of Isaiah is the coming fulfillment of the Father's redemption. And that's why it's the fifth gospel. Isaiah is great. There's got some great warnings and stuff. But Isaiah is all about looking at Jesus. I can't wait to get into it. And the Spirit in the book of Isaiah executes the purpose of the Father and the Son by renewing God's people. Wow, how great it would be to do a study on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Profound how He is at work in His people. Why am I big on this? 
Some of you might be going, okay, I, yeah, I know God saves, Pastor Cody. Come on. I've been to church longer than you've been alive. That's half of you. Here it is. I believe the problem in our culture today is not too much religion or bad religion. It's wrong religion. Too much or too little. Oh, that's, it's just straight out wrong. Here is the catastrophic collapse of traditional Christianity in our understanding of God. We don't truly behold God in His beauty and glory. We need to see He is the one that saves. We have the rise of damaging pseudo-Christian methods to understand God. It's all about Christ. Our God is too small. It's time to let Isaiah expand our image of God. God is the one who saves. The next one, God saves. The next slide says this. He is the one that saves. God is the one from the beginning to the end who saves. He is the one who plans out and orchestrates all events, communicates what and when salvation occurs, and achieves that salvation. He's the one that does it. Trusting in yourself, trusting in kings, trusting in alliances will not do. It cannot save you. They are dead in sin and pride. And God saves them to his glory. Take a look at one of my favorite chapters in Isaiah, Isaiah 43. In some of my Bibles, this section of the Bible has wore out and the page has fallen out. Because I read this so much. Isaiah 43. God saves. Isaiah 43, verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no Savior. He is the only one that saves. I, I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. Please know that God saves. And the last slide here. Sinners. The Israelites are helpless and powerless to do anything. They thought they were cool by getting some kings together. They thought they were cool by going, we're just going to separate here. You guys, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. We're going to do it right. They're powerless to do it. Because of the depravity in their hearts, sin is there. When we look in the book of Isaiah, we won't really see the word sin. We're going to see the word rebellion show up over and over again. And Isaiah wants to wake you up and say this, God is better than you think. Well, you think you got it down fine right now. God is better than you think. And you are worse than you know. Our need is greater than the pseudo-remedies the world has to offer. God is great. 
and He is mighty to save. So even in the name of Isaiah, the Lord is a source of salvation. Know this, God saves sinners. As you walk with your friends today or tomorrow, 4th of July comes up and I'm going to go downtown Port Orchard with a fire extinguisher next to me because it's going to go crazy down there and just protect my kids, hose them off when I need to. And I'm going to be hanging out with people that I don't even know. May I have riveted in my soul God saved sinners of who I'm the worst. And guess what? You need to know. I'm one beggar telling another beggar, this is the banquet table right here. And it's found in Jesus. Amen? So here's just a short little message today to all of you churchy people because you showed up today. God is better and bigger and grander than you know. And when you start to read this book, you will go, how could I not worship him forever? And guess what? You're in a worse situation than you really think you are. Especially if you live in America and you've been drinking church ease like Chinese, just the church ease language, and you've got all the ducks in a row, and you can just... Isaiah is going to wake us up as he did the children of Israel many, many years ago. Know that God saves sinners. And this is my prayer. I'm going to end with this. The last slide, I tried to make it look cool. It didn't look cool because it did, it's all dark. It's Isaiah, God saves. This week is my prayer for you. I pray that you begin to read Isaiah. And I encourage you to start with chapter 40 through 55. Read it over and over again. We're, we're going to skip some of the first part. I'm not skipping the Bible. That's not my style. But the first part, there's a lot of data. I don't want to get caught up in that. I want to get into the beauty of the gospel message. We're looking at Christ in the Old Testament. Read over 40 through 55 and begin to taste and begin to write down 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy thing that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And when you begin to get that picture, my prayer is that you don't just stop there and go, woe is me, I'm a sinner, beat myself and behold. No! My prayer, this sounds weird, but I've been praying and anticipating that this 4th of July, wherever you go, family, friends, neighbors, maybe it's on the TV because you got pets, your dog's going to freak out or whatever, I don't know how it works for you. Wherever you go, that you will have tasted the beauty of this message, God saves sinners, so that you will be brighter than any firework and any light that pops off on the 4th of July. Because we are to be a light, a message to this world. So I am praying and anticipating stories next week where you go, you're right. We were blowing off stuff. My friend was blowing off stuff. We started talking about stuff, and I thought, I'm a sinner. Hey, guess what? I need the Lord and my prayer is that you'll be the brightest ones this 4th of July and people will see true Independence Day not because we're Americans, because of this gospel message. God saves sinners. He saved me. He can truly save you then because you, you don't really know who I am. That should be your thought.
So let's pray.